You want to give that same effort, that same determination that you gave on that first hog. You want to deliver that on every experience. And that's what I think about when I'm cooking. That's Rodney Scott, James Beard Award winner and founder of Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. I'm known to sometimes stay up 24 hours when it comes to cooking and serving because that's what I do. That's what I love. doesn't matter if it's 10 people or if it's 20 people. I'm always super excited, nervous, and so focused that I can't sleep. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Rodney Scott to discuss why true excellence is realized in the details, how to scale your impact without compromising on quality, and why the most successful leaders remain humble and focused. I gotta stay focused. There was one guy who said, you should be driving this and wearing designer this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, I do have a brand. It's called Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. And that t-shirt is worn daily because there are a lot of people that tell you what you should do, but they don't understand that. Just because you got recognized for something means that you get to relax. You gotta continue to work. And I tell my partner, Nick, all the time, I was like, dude, fame is only 15 minutes. We got nine minutes left. Let's go to work. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Today, Rodney Scott is a culinary icon. As one of only two barbecue pitmasters to be named Best Chef by the James Beard Foundation, his achievements have been recognized on the Today Show, the Washington Post, the Showtime series Billions, and on Netflix's Chef's Table. But as you'll soon learn, Rodney comes from humble beginnings. I honestly never imagined my life would be what it is today. It was always a dream. At seven years old, I said, I want the world to hear me, but never really thought it would be the world actually hearing me. Mm -hmm. So unbelievable, and, and I never really expected to be where it is. Like, if, if you could speak to like some of your upbringing, I mean, you were closely with your dad, kind of like, growing up, and then you obviously learned a lot of lessons. What what was the upbringing like? Man, the upbringing was you work, you get paid, or you work, you get to play. It was the kind of thing that we got as uh, kids, and we grew up on the farm, so you had chores, you feed the hogs, uh, cut the grass, these different things. So it was always a responsible duty or a chore that was given to you on a day-to-day -day basis. And my dad would make sure that you did that. If you didn't, you didn't get the privileges that would come along with it. Mm -hmm. And you had a bit of a different childhood from some of your peers, right? Because of how you spent your time versus how they spent their time. Oh yeah, you know, as a child, when school was out, you work after school, you fed the hogs, you did whatever farm work around the house, and if we were in the summertime, we were picking cucumbers or planting and farming because my dad planted tobacco, corn, soybeans, all of the crops that were kind of popular in that area. 
and I'm curious, how did your dad get into kind of the barbecue? So there was the, the variety store and the barbecue, but how did, how did he even start that up? Well, the, from what my mom told me, the barbecue started as an addition. You know, out in the country, these rural stores used to sell hot dogs. Mm-hmm. So my dad started doing barbecue sandwiches on Thursdays. So they would cook one hog on Thursday and barbecue sandwiches would be ready around 6 p.m. in the, in the evening. And we would just sell sandwiches. I remember them being something like a dollar and 50 cents for a barbecue sandwich. And I mean, I guess at that time growing up, did you immediately take an interest to barbecue or is this just like, this is what my dad's asking me to do, I'm, I'm going to contribute? Man, I had no interest in barbecue at all. That was the duty, that was the chore. My interest was uh, cars, yep. trucks, custom vehicles. That was always my thing. And I felt like I was gonna go that direction, but eventually I fell in love with cooking barbecue and still doing it to this day. So what was it about barbecue, even about the process that you fell in love with? Like what, what gravitated you towards it? One of the things that gravitated me towards barbecue was uh, food. You know, you get to eat. You get to eat when you're cooking. And I started to watch how the flames would burn and how you could put a hot dog on a pit, how you can grill a hamburger. And I started associating the two with the whole hog. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, it takes 12 hours to cook this hog. We can bake a potato in the hot coals, do these little things in between. And all of that creativity started to just fall on me like, I like this. I want to do this. Yeah. And we were mentioning earlier, you were at our office a few weeks ago and you cooked that hog. And I, I was telling you, even with, with our team, we had people that you know were vegetarians, people that were <laughs> on diets. Everybody's eating it. It's the yeah. best barbecue they'd ever had in their life. If you could speak to like, what is whole hog barbecue all about? Because I'm sure people are familiar with like cooking ribs or you know other types of barbecue, but what makes whole hog barbecue special? So whole hog barbecue is a lot different than cooking ribs or hot dogs, hamburgers. And what makes it special is you have the entire hog. You have the head the hams, shoulders, loins, the belly, all of these parts are still cooked together. And for me personally, when you cook the whole hog in its entirety, you get a different flavor because you have all these different parts that complement each other. You have the, the ham and the juices from the belly, putting it all together is just a unique flavor. And in my restaurants, you know, we, me and my partner and I, we describe it as a difference that you could taste. And you know, a lot of times when you mention whole hog, for the people that know what that is, they, they look at that and they say, well, that's, that's probably one of the most difficult types of cooks to do. What makes it so difficult compared to other types of barbecue? One of the things that makes whole hog so difficult is it's a 12-hour cook time. So you, you're giving up at least a half a day, and it's a lot of lifting and moving around. And it also requires two people most times to flip a hog. Mm-hmm. So it takes another person, it takes 12 hours, and it takes a lot of preparation to just get a whole hog cooked. And as you've been doing this just over the years, like what are some of the things that perhaps make like your technique unique from other people that do this type of barbecue? I think one of the things that make our technique unique is uh, we burn our wood down in the coals. So we kind of make our own coals and we take uh, whole pieces of wood, burn them down till they fall through these this rebar in what we call a burn barrel. Mm-hmm. And we take those coals and cook our hogs with instead of a direct or indirect heat where the fire is on the side and not under the hog, we take those hot coals and cook them with the coals under the hams and the shoulders. And if you're looking back, I'm just curious, what's the difference between the type of um, whole hog that you were cooking 20 years ago versus today? Like what what have been some of the the lessons learned, the the experience? Man, one of the lessons learned um, compared to back in the day and to current day is metal pits last longer if you're going to do a lot of cooking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cinder block pits back in the day that we use, they worked very well. But they tend to wear after a few cooks, you know, a couple of years, you start to replace them. So we've learned that the metal pits are more durable. They last longer, easier to clean because we cook on a daily basis. 
And another thing we learned is we've learned how to put the pit in a more convenient space around the restaurant by adding air to the room, mm-hmm. putting the pits under hoods. So the pit master can actually be more comfortable when they're cooking in the summertime as well as the winter. And as you were growing up, from what I've read, you, there was a lot of people that did not really see a future in this for you. Like that there were um, a lot of people you grew up with. Um, now obviously, you were passionate about it, but they said maybe you'd pick a different career than cooking whole hog. Why did you stick with it? Man, you know, I, first of all, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you know, I, I said I was going to find a love in what I do. And in doing it, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's short-term thing. Nobody's wanting all that pork, this, that, and the other. You know, a lot of negative vibes came, but also a lot of positive vibes of stay focused. You can do whatever you want to do. And I just decided I'm going to keep dreaming big. And if this person can do it, so can I, you know, regardless of what I do. And I remember this one guy said in our church, he said, um, you know, whatever you do, be good at it. And I said, well, I know how to do this. And I said, I'm going to do my best to be good at it. And do you recall like a certain point, like, I don't know if there was a certain catalyst or what, where the, the Ronnie Scott brand really started to take off, where it went from doing this in the in the convenience store to really starting to get a name for yourself? Man, I have to say, I started to see the name start to take off in 2010 when we cooked at uh, Jim and Nick's in Charleston. Mm-hmm. We did the smoke dinner. My partner to this day, Nick Bahak, has invited me to come cook. And I was just nervous, man. I was so nervous. And I noticed how people were enjoying it and they started to mentioned my name to other people around the the festival and the dinner. And I was like, wow. And I saw an article in the newspaper and I was like, is this a thing now? People are knowing who I am. So what was that partnership like with Nick? Because for people that aren't familiar with Jim and Nick's, it's yeah. pretty well known. I mean, it's known in Atlanta. It's known in the South. Like, I mean, that's pretty well-known barbecue. Yeah. What, what was his interest in, in, in Whole Hog? Man, I got to tell you, Nick Bahakis is so passionate about relationships. And me and him, we bonded probably the very first time we met. And we just talked barbecue and he always wanted to recognize other barbecue pit masters. So he invited me to the first dinner that he wanted to do. We clicked from there. We talked food. We talked hard work. We talked growing businesses, learning businesses. And honestly, he taught me a lot about building a restaurant because I grew up with just cooking whole hogs and chickens. That was it. And he taught me how to put the sides in there and have all of these things complement in a restaurant setting. So huge shout out to Nick. Everything we spoke about was life, family, barbecue. So he's not just a partner. He's like a, a brother, a big brother. And obviously there's a lot of people that, let's say they love barbecue, they love to cook barbecue, but there's a difference between loving to do something and then being truly passionate with it. What, what do you believe made you different to be able to build this brand? Like, what do you think that you did differently? Is it just that you stuck with it longer or do you think it was something else? I think one of the things that made a difference is I, I stuck with it and I tried to bring a positive vibe with it. I like to interact with the people that I'm serving as much as I can. I took art in high school because I was passionate about art and I always felt like that food needs to kind of look good. You know, it has to be a certain way. The pit has to be turned a certain way. My guys laugh at me to this day because I like to try to wipe everything down to perfection before we even leave the restaurant. And they look at me and they laugh. They said, nobody's going to see that part. I was like, I do. Yeah. So I think that passion of wanting to give your best and create a memorable experience is, is the one thing that makes it unique. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, it's that attention to detail. I mean, things that maybe someone would say someone wouldn't notice or maybe wouldn't matter. It is getting those details right. Were you always that way or is that something that evolved over time? Well, again, I've been always that way because I've always loved cars. I remember as a child, I would walk up to those old 70s and 80s GM and Chevy cars and you'd see that strip of chrome. 
and I would take my finger and try to shine that piece of chrome because I felt like that part was overlooked. Same thing with everything I do to this day. I like to make sure all of the details that I can and do recognize are all on point. A lot of people, I mean, in today's society, they see kind of the, the outcome. They see Rodney Scott, James Beard Award winner. They see on Netflix. You see all this stuff. But what they really don't see oftentimes is the climb to get there. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, what, what were some of the challenges that you ran into kind of like growing over these years? Like what were some of the, maybe even the mistakes that you made? Man, lots of mistakes I've made over the years. And I took notes from them. You know, if something caught fire because I wasn't in the right position or had something in the right place, I remember, don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And if something was combustible close to the pit, remove that, change the material. Ask questions, uh, always took advice. A lot of things that I've encountered from financial to physical, all lots of mistakes, I always took a note from it and applied it to the future, the next event, the next outcome, the next setup. And how did, like, does the whole experience with Netflix happen? Like, how did they approach you? Like, what, you know, how did this come to be? Because you got a dedicated episode (laughs) on Chef's Table, probably. If there's, like, one culinary show that looks at, like, the top chefs and culinary experts in the world, that's probably it. Like, how did that come to be? So Chef's Table came about. We had an event in San Francisco. And we flew out there, and it was an all-night event, and you served the next day. And I'm known to sometimes stay up 24 hours when it comes to cooking and serving because that's what I do. That's what I love. They came in when I was completely exhausted. And these guys walked up and they mentioned doing an episode. And I said, oh, sure. You know, I'm exhausted. I didn't pay any attention. Absolutely. And this is going into day two after four hours of sleep, going into day two for another all-night cook in the afternoon serving. I just felt that, hey, did you hear two guys saying hello? Sure. Yeah, let's set it up. Had no idea that it was as big as Netflix. Angie Mosier was with us at the time, and she said, do you know who those guys were? I was like, "Uh, not really, because I was so sleepy. But it was like almost magical that I acknowledged them. Yes, let's do it, and send us a message. One thing you mentioned, when you're talking about an all-night cook, is it fair to assume that when you say all-night, there's not naps happening? This is like, so I'm just curious, during that period of time, what are you doing? And then also, like, I heard you like to listen to music. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what are the types of things you can do to kind of keep yourself occupied? Man, the one thing to keep myself occupied is music itself. I love to party. I'm just put that out there. You know, you catch me at the red light in my truck, I'm partying. Music is one thing, but then there's a certain time of the night that I would turn the music off so I can listen to nature, mm. hear the things around me, hear the fire crackling. And the focus of wanting to deliver that great product is huge for me doesn't matter if it's 10 people or if it's 20 people. I'm always super excited, nervous, and so focused that I can't sleep. I'm going to stay awake and make sure that everything is working the way that it should. Do you still get nervous today? Yes. I get nervous at every single event. So that's interesting because yeah. I don't know that a lot of people realize this. So I've asked this question with a lot of like really, really like high achieving people that people believe, man, you've done something thousands of times and they're yeah. saying, no, I still get nervous every time. Yeah. What do you think that is? I think that's the passion to want to deliver the best that you can. You want to create a memorable experience. You don't want to just throw it out there. It's kind of like the tortoise and the rabbit. The rabbit thought he had it. Oh boy, creeped right in and beat him. You know, you you don't want to take your foot off the gas. You want to give that same effort, that same determination that you gave on that first hog. You want to deliver that on every experience. And that's what I think about when I'm cooking. I mean, I don't know if you know this number, but even if you had to estimate about how many hogs have you cooked to this point in your life? There's even an estimate. Man, I don't even have an estimate. It's been so many. I remember just one Christmas alone, we did over 100. 
you know, it's been an average of in Hemingway at one point thirty to thirty five a week was an average. There was that point one point on a Saturday we would do uh, anywhere from ten to thirteen hogs a day and would sell all of it. So I just stopped counting, and now that we got multiple locations, it's I couldn't tell you how many hogs I've cooked. Probably thousands or tens of thousands, and probably, um, <laughs> and you're still getting nervous every every yeah. time. Now, yeah. what's interesting about that Netflix episode is, and I don't know at, at the time whether you, you wanted them to film this or not, was when kind of the pit caught on fire, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine when when they're filming, you want to look good. What was going through your head at that time? Man, when the pit caught on fire, I was like, I got to get it right. I got to get this straight. How do I fix it? I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to settle. I got to get this done. I immediately got on the phone with everybody that I communicated with on a regular basis. My local health department, my uh, building inspector at the time, I called Nick and we just had this conversation and I said, hey, listen, here's where I am. This is what I need to do. This is what I'm about to do. And I had portable pits. So where I couldn't cook, where the fire happened, there was space in the back and around the side. I immediately went and got tents, followed all the protocols, screened everything in, went and got the portable pits, unhooked them from my trailer and laid them down, and, and I went straight to work. You know, I'm gonna cook here as much as I can, and, and we came up with the idea, John T and Nick came up with this great idea that let's, let's do an exile tour. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting, it's like in the moment, I'm sure it's not something you're excited about. It does make for exciting television, no. but um, just seeing you be able to like kind of bounce back and be resilient. Now I'm curious when it comes to cooking whole hog, I mean, I imagine you can, you know, there's kind of the debate of art versus science, right? Yeah. You could say, here's exactly how you do it. Here are the ingredients, here's yeah. the time. What's kind of that, that X factor, almost the art component of like, you'd say you've got two people cooking and how you're doing it versus somebody with the same exact instructions. Wow. So the way that I do it, I definitely got to keep the fire going at least 45 minutes before your start time. That's to burn the wood down to make the coals to get it started. And I fire my hog every, when I say fire, I mean put the coals under the hams and the shoulders with the skin side up. I fire them every 10 to 15 minutes and I listen for the drip of fat falling in the coals. And a lot of people will fire every 15 minutes consistently. I fire and listen because there's so many things to consider when you're cooking it that way. The outside temperatures, the design of the pits, the time of year it is, all of this stuff makes a huge difference. And I use every sense. I have to listen to it, touch it, feel the pit, how hot it is. All these things play a part when I'm cooking it, as opposed to some of the other pit masters I've seen cook. They would just, you know, do their thing by the gauges and the temperatures. And me, I just go touch it. So for the uninitiated, and these are the people that aren't barbecue experts, they're not pit masters themselves. Does it ever bother you that if they don't appreciate kind of the intricacies of what goes into the cook? Or do you just say, basically, as long as you enjoy the food, I'm happy? When I see a pit master just kind of nonchalantly just doing their thing, I say, well, that's him or her, and I can't do that. I don't want to be that person. I want to just keep on, stay focused. Again, keeping my foot on the gas, making sure that that first effort that you put into that hog Mm -hmm. still apply to each and every one that you do. It kind of hurts a little bit, but then again, it kind of gives me energy to say, I'm doing all right by focusing on staying the course. Mm -hmm. It's like having just a respect for your craft, 
right? Exactly. It's like that, yes. that obsession. So when we talk about just food in general, I mean, I know you've mentioned this, this, the ability to bring people together, the type of experiences it creates, the communities that it creates. I'm wondering how much of it, you know, just from your experience, what's kind of kept you going is the food itself versus the way it brings people together. Oh man, all of it. The food itself and the way it brings people together keeps me going. Um, because when you present this food, people are there to see what's going on. But when you're presenting the food and you personally present it to them, you get to meet somebody new. You get to hear their stories, their ideas, their thoughts on how they cook, their different styles of how they cook in regions. And for me, that's a new relationship. And you create that new relationship and then you start to communicate. And all of a sudden, there's this one thing that so many people have in common. And there's a new network of people involved in what you do with a positive feeling. It could be the music that I play when I'm cooking versus just where I am and what type of event is going on. For me, it's the people and the food. It's another great memory written. You know, having done, let's say, thousands, maybe 10,000s of cooks, do you feel at this point that you've mastered it? Or how much room for growth do you feel you have at this point? Right now, do I feel that I've mastered it? No. And I say that because I feel like the very second that you know everything, that's the very second that you know nothing at all. So I continue to listen, learn, and even our new pit masters that we train to follow the guidelines that we lay out for the restaurants, I still listen to them, give them that opportunity to express their thoughts and ideas. Doesn't mean we're going to do it, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's still always room for learning, in uh, my opinion. So then as, as you started expanding and like opening up these Rodney Scarf barbecue restaurants, right, in South Carolina, and there's one in Atlanta and just in yeah. beyond, were you a bit apprehensive about kind of letting go a little bit and saying, I've got to rely on other pitmasters to be cooking this stuff. Can we maintain that same consistency of your name and your brand? At first, I was very nervous about that, somebody else taking over and me not being there every single second. But also, I had to learn how to teach my craft as well. So with me and my partner, Nick, and our other operating partners, we all got together and we put down a plan to follow the procedures that I've learned to teach. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of revisit it. And it's still a nervous feel, but the one thing that calms me down is I just pop up at all the restaurants as much as possible. Like today, I'm gonna pop up. Because so, I imagine there must have been some conversation at some point with Nick when he's like, "Man, we gotta, we gotta start opening up these restaurants." Yeah. And you're like, "Well, I don't know about that." Like, what, was there something specific that he said to you that reassured you that this could be done in a way that wouldn't compromise kind of the quality and and, and your legacy? Absolutely. I remember the first time he says, "How many, how many do you think you want to open?" And I said, 30. And he looked at me and laughed. And then I said, well, "All right, three. And you know, didn't think about it twice. And he says, well, if we scale this thing, there's a way that we need to be able to follow it to make sure that we have a, a nice consistency on all of our products. And that's when he started to explain to me how to make sure our recipes are all locked in and they're all followed by every restaurant that we have. And that gave me some peace of mind that, you know, this is getting done the way it should be. How many restaurants are there today? Currently, there's four restaurants. Uh, we have the Charleston location. We have one in Atlanta here. We have two in Birmingham open right now in Homewood area in Avondale. For the future, we're scheduled to open our Trustville location in Alabama around the Birmingham area. And uh, next year, we're site to open in Nashville, mm. where we partnered with... Uh, Eric Church. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be in Nashville, hopefully in 23. So if you had to project, I mean, I'm sure you have a, a number, a goal in mind. If you're looking ahead, you know, 10, 20 years from today, like how, how many restaurants are you thinking? 25, 30 of them. 
here I am, a 50-year-old man. And my cousin said to me, you got more years behind you than in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm swinging at this pitch. Yeah. See if I can get a home run. I mean, I'm, I feel for the people. Like, we're fortunate in Atlanta. We've got a Rodney Scott barbecue. I feel for the people that do, do not, that have not experienced yeah. this yet. So like, in terms of spreading um, this goodness with the world, like, would you ever even consider, let's say, that that number was 300? Absolutely. If this food is great, people are loving it, like you want to expand indefinitely. I'm wondering, like, who would you say is your competition today? McDonald's. Yeah. And I say that for a reason. I used to always read their signs, billion served as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd like to serve a lot of people myself. And they're all over the world. Here's a clown serving food all over the world. And I said, we could do this too. You know, we can serve barbecue all over the world. And now that we know how to make it consistent, to have a guideline on how we're going to prepare all of our foods, this can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that is my thought. And I feel like that's the goal I'm trying to reach, to be out there and have great quality food all around the world. And what would you say are like the differences and the challenges that you experienced in the early days versus the challenges today with the restaurants? Like I imagine they're very different. Yeah. Oh, man, early days, uh, we burn our wood outside. So if a storm came up and it's raining and lightning, you were just almost on pause if it was lightning. And if it's raining, you just got to go out there and get soaking wet. As opposed to now, everything is on the inside. So we have like a fireplace as opposed to a barrel like we had back in the day. So we've advanced some things on the inside. It's a lot more convenient now, uh, a lot less stressful. Uh, We have fans and ventilation, pulling the smoke out a lot faster. So the room stays a lot cleaner. These are all things that we experience and learn. And today, it's like we went from an old beat up pickup truck to uh, the best of vehicles, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I know sometimes people believe like, you know, when you get to a certain point, the problems go away. I, I guess maybe they just they go from <laughs> one set of problems to a different set of problems. Yeah, the problems change. They don't necessarily go away. But, you know, we take them with a grain of salt. We're prepared for whatever problems or situations, and uh, we just stay focused and, and, and attack them. Mm-hmm. So now, now I'm curious about Billions. I know we talked about Netflix. Yeah. For the people that watch Billions on Showtime, there was this one episode, uh, I think it was on the most recent season, and I don't know if they ever did this on any episode of the show, but for that episode, every scene, they would do a freeze frame, and yeah. then they would line item out everything everyone was wearing, <laughs> you know, what watch they were wearing, what suit they were wearing, like who was in the room, like, and you're there, like basically yeah. cooking this private dinner. How did that come to be? Man, apparently he's one of the producers uh, made a trip to Charleston, and... Uh, kind of had us in mind and, and the message came through and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you talking about Showtime Billions? And they're like, sure. I was like, dude, I watched that. And they said, well, they're interested in, you know, having a conversation. I said, yes. But what terms? I said, yes. You know, That's right. the answer is yes. Set it up. I want to do it. And, you know, they made it all happen. We went up to New York and, you know, we had, of course you got to lay low. You can't tell everybody what you're doing and, mm-hmm. Man, it was hard to hold that secret. Yeah. Wow, it was hard to hold that secret. I was so excited to do that. And that was that was like a whole day of, of filming, right? Was, it, was oh, yeah. it a one day? It was a one day of filming. It took a day to prep for it mm-hmm. and uh, another day of filming, but it was so much fun to see how behind the scenes this show mm-hmm. works. And then you're working with these professionals, man. You know, Wags and Scooter. And I'm like, whoa, That's these right. guys are like right in front of me. Yeah. I was like a kid in, in the candy store, man. I was and, super happy that day. And you weren't just someone in the background in this episode. I mean, they gave you like- They gave me lines. They gave me lines. They let me talk. <laughs> they really, really let me talk. And 
I was like, I think this is a big thing for me to be able to say something on TV. And they was like, what are you talking about? I was like, dude, I get to talk on the show. But it was, man, super excited. I would do it again if I had the opportunity. So now over the years, I mean, you, you, you seem like someone who's done a really good job of, of staying grounded. And I imagine you've got the right people around you, but how have you stayed grounded, you know, kind of through this evolution of everything from, you know, doing it out of the back of a pickup truck yeah. to um, the restaurants to now being on Netflix and then on Showtime? Like, how, how do you remain humble? Well, one of the ways I remain humble is uh, to know that you have to always have respect. And I feel like when you lose that humbleness, you start to disrespect everything and the people around you. And another thing I do is I spend time by myself every day. There's at least one hour of nothing every day, no matter what time of day it is. And if you present an accolade to me today, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to appreciate it. But then I'm going to sit it aside. I know it's there, but I'm not going to focus on it. I'm going to try to get it again. So that kind of keeps me grounded. Say hello to people, pay respect. Don't think that you're above everybody else because I feel like we're all worth an acknowledgement, at least. Hello, good morning, how are you? So every time we get an accolade through the brand or, or whatever it is, I appreciate it. And then I set it to the side and say, I want to focus on the next one. Mm -hmm. And for me, that keeps me working hard. That keeps me grounded. And, uh, you know, I had a teacher, Miss McAllister in high school. She says, stay Rodney. And her thing was stay grounded, you know, don't don't lose it. Yeah, it's like being grateful, but not getting complacent, right? Correct, correct, absolutely. Now, over the years, I mean, just with your level of obsession, I mean, essentially we had Tim Grover on the podcast. He was the performance coach to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and he talked about just winning and this level of obsession and commitment you have to, to have to succeed at the highest level. I'm wondering, were there things that you had to give up along the way or were there people that said, hey, Rodney, like you should relax, you should do less? There were a few people that came along that said, you know, you should go party, you should go do this. And I'm like, nah, I gotta stay focused. There was one guy who said, you should be driving this and wearing designer, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, I do have a brand. It's called Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. And that t-shirt is worn <laughs> daily. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. the brand. And I just keep the negative vibes away because there are a lot of people that tell you what you should do, mm -hmm. but they don't understand that. Just because you got recognized for something means that you get to relax. Mm -hmm. You got to continue to work. And I tell my partner, Nick, all the time, I was like, dude, fame is only 15 minutes. We got nine minutes left. Let's go to work. We say that all the time in the restaurants. So I want to put this in perspective for people. If you had to, I mean, it could be a rough estimate, but just think about the time you cooked your first hog to the time where things really started to take off to the first restaurant. What's kind of the time frame between that and the opening of the restaurant and like how many hogs and maybe how many hours, you know, go into that just to get, give people an idea of like how long it takes. Wow. To, to come from cooking that first hog to where I stand currently today, it's about a 30 year ride. I explained it to a group as a 30 year overnight and uh, there's a lot of hard work in it. There's a lot of sweat, blood and tears that's been all up in creating and getting to that first restaurant level. A lot of fear, uh, a lot of determination. It takes a whole lot of optimism because you can easily lose focus and, and be down and give up. And I always took things in stride slowly, not too much at once, and just stayed focused. You're talking about lots of hogs, lots of tree cutting, 
lots of back and forth. I remember driving sometimes to Charleston just to show my face at events. And that's four hours round trip. So a lot of networking effort just to get to where we are. And to this day, that still continues. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, I know a lot of times people look at certain ventures and they say, okay, like it's about the money, but I, I fail to see how you can, if it's about the money, I don't know, you do 30 <laughs> years of just dedication and obsession. There's other ways to make Man, money. It was, this is the one thing that I yeah. know. This is the one thing that I understood. And I feel like if I continue to practice it, it would be great. So that's why I stayed focused and said that I can make it the best that I can. And were there times where you thought about just, I mean, just saying, hey, this is not for me. I'm going to give up. You know, oh, yeah. I'm going to quit. I mean, imagine at least one time. Yeah, 2019. Yeah. I was like, golly, what is this life? You know, this is, this is tough. And I said, I'm going to give it a few more months. And I got to hang in there. I came this far. I can make it. And it got better. Got a lot more settled. And I said to myself, I'll never, ever mentally or verbally give up again because I got this. It's probably good that happened in 2019 because yeah. I imagine yeah. the following year, it's probably good to make <laughs> oh the commitment before that. The following year was a totally different thing. But, you know, we survived. We made it. Um, we focus on taking care of our staff first. We focus on making sure that we can maintain and keep them, if not paid, fed. Mm -hmm. And then we, we found out how to stay focused. We communicated every day. We, we learned all the rules and regulations and we just did our best to work around up with it mm -hmm. and work around all the trials and tribulations and stay focused and keep going. And, and I know you mentioned Nick a few times and yeah. I wonder like, do you believe you could have gotten to where you are today on your own? Or did you have to find those right people? Or maybe they found you to be able to just collaborate together to build what you're building today. I absolutely would not have made it on my own. I had no intentions on leaving Hemingway. I had no intentions on doing anything other than a few jobs away from Hemingway. And Nick saw a different vision. And in his vision, he explained to me all of the possibilities and opportunities that can and will be in front of me at the time. And I was like, nah, I'm good, you know? And eventually I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And getting with him, talking to him and our communication, our relationship, because we had a relationship long before we decided to open this restaurant. And he explained to me the business side of things, the restaurant side of things. And then him explaining everything to me, it gave me that confidence to finally say, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. And so far it's worked out. It's been great. Were there any of the, you know, looking back, any of the naysayers at the time, have they, have they come around? Do you, you have any of these people say, Rodney, I always believed in you? Yeah, a few of the mother, you know, what <laughs> came back. It's funny how things you know. change, right? Yeah, it's, I want to say about four that I know of came into the restaurant in Charleston at the time and kind of tried to smooth their way yep. back in. And you could smell them coming a mile away with that crap. It made me feel good because I didn't let what they said take away the vision that I have. I mean, when, you're, when your critics become your, your customers, yeah. you're doing something right. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I hear people say something or criticize and I'm like, all right, cool. Let's work on that part. Mm -hmm. It's more inspiration. So you've described yourself as kind of like a glass half full oh, yeah. type of guy. Where does that come from? Like, was it something just from your childhood? Like how, you know, how did that come about? Glass half full came from um, childhood up to current day. You would hear so many people speak negative, talk negative, and yet you're alive. So if you're alive, try to avoid the negativity and just build something positive. I remember I made a playlist on the plane because the lady behind me got on my nerves. She complained about her family, 
she was complaining about the government and all these different things. And she was ruining my flight. And she sat behind me. And I remember I went through my music and I put a list together. And this list is all upbeat, all fun. By the time I got off of that 45-minute flight, I think I had about 30 songs on a list that were all upbeat. And I said, it's just got to be fun. My glass is going to be half full. I understand things happen. I understand challenges come along, but you have to stay positive. And my glass has to stay half full, not half empty. Mm. And yeah. I know we're doing a cook today. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, uh, the team's already salivating. I'm excited. Um, it really is amazing. Like, you know, what I was saying, like people that would, would never even try to eat barbecue are loving this barbecue. And more importantly, it's just, even when you were doing that uh, cook a few weeks ago, like it could tell that you were still genuinely passionate about oh, yeah. it. Like you're you're not watching from the sidelines. Like you're, you're right in there. Like you, you love it. I'm in there. Uh, I remember I got a spot on that shirt and I was like, there's a memory. There you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's one of the shirts that my wife is like, uh, don't mess this up. I'm like, uh, you in trouble. You know, if I'm, I'm, if I'm wearing it, I'm gonna do whatever in it, so. Mm -hmm. Has she been kind of a, a supporter all along the way? Has she been kind of like your advocate? Oh, yeah. She's definitely been a supporter. You know, she makes sure that I don't let the job get to me. Mm -hmm. She makes sure and, and not give me a headache when I get home. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, how was your trip? That's good. Making sure that I'm all good on the, the home side as well as the work side. She's mm -hmm. always been there. And if there's important decisions to make in life, you know, outside of like your vocation of like how you're going to spend your time, it is it is the person you're going to spend your time with. And I mean, I've known so many entrepreneurs that I mean, it's hard enough as it is to, to build a business and grow a business. But when you come home and it could be, you know, 10 times more difficult if the person there is just giving you a hard time, like basically saying, hey, you know what, you should take it easy. That sort yeah. of thing. Take it easy. I get that peace of quiet, that space. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has that section in the house where they can just go to and it's just quiet mm -hmm. and you can do whatever you feel or whatever you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I get that. I get that peace on a daily basis. So that helps a lot with the way that we travel, the way that we work and the way that we're uh, getting things done with these new restaurant openings. So all of that helps. And now as you reflect, I mean, just on everything up until this point, are you proud of yourself? Man, I am very proud of myself. I'm surprised at myself, very humbled and appreciative that the dedication and determination really stayed with me to continue to live out the dream. Yes, the dream was for them to hear me, but now they're seeing me, they're tasting our food, and I'm interacting with people that I've seen on TV. I'm on TV, and all of that, man, makes me very, very proud and gives me that feel good of spreading that joy back to younger generations. Like, hey, the world is your playground. Take it over. How old are you today? I'm 50 years old, yeah. So, so isn't it interesting when you, when you think about that? Because you, you talk to different people and I'm sure they think that, you know, at this point I'm at the whatever halfway point of my yeah. life. And I imagine that the past 50 years have now been the preparation for the next 50 years. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I remember when I was 35, I told this older guy, I said, I want to retire by the time I'm 40. He was like, boy, you crazy. Didn't retire by the time I was 40. But at 40, I was learning how to build myself towards a better retirement. So very appreciative, very appreciative of who, of who I've become and all of the accomplishments that uh, me and my partner, Nick, Paul, Nicholas, and my whole team has been, uh, you know, helping to build. So I have to ask this, and if you're not able to answer this, I understand. But there are a lot of people listening because the listeners are all over the country. And some of them may not have Rodney Scott barbecue nearby. Are there any plans to do, do like online 
ordering? We are doing a little bit of looking into online. Currently, we have our merchandise online. You know, you can get the rub, the sauces, the t-shirts, the hats, but we are kind of taking a look into that, a little peep, and mm-hmm. if it works out, we'll try to be able to spread that love uh, all over the country, all over the world, hopefully. So, so Ronnie, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Man, being a game changer to me, it's, uh, it humbles me and it, it gives me the energy and the opportunity to spread positivity everywhere I go. I feel like we can change with so many things happening in the world the way that they do. I feel like we can change the game through food, through barbecue, and spread a lot of positivity and love. I want to give a huge thank you to Rodney Scott for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Rodney said that the moment you achieve any level of notoriety or fame, resist the temptation to take your foot off the gas. In fact, you should do just the opposite. Combat complacency by remaining humble, focused, and grateful. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review and share this podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Rodney Scott, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time and we'll be speaking with renowned professor, communication coach, branding expert, and best-selling author, Dory Clark. We're not trying to like build colonies on the moon, right? People have built law firms before. That is a thing. If we took the time to have conversations, to do research, to learn what has been typical in the past with other folks who are in situations like ours, we might have a more realistic scope and be able to really understand like, oh, I shouldn't be upset about where I am. Actually, this thing, it just takes two years. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Thank you.